if you are able to change the way that you look at your relationship with your horse and who your horse is and what they are capable of doing, then you open the door for yourself and for your relationship to make it something absolutely incredible. Welcome to the Charles Owen podcast. Charles Owen has been manufacturing high-performance, stylish riding helmets since 1911. And to celebrate its 110th birthday, we are interviewing a range of riders, from the biggest names in equestrian sport to up-and-coming superstars. In these exclusive interviews, they reveal their highs and lows and share their secret to success in this challenging sport. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Jill, hello and welcome to the Charles Owen podcast. Hi. You are in, I believe you're in the deep south of the USA. Yes, Arkansas. And so you don't sound very southern, I have to say. Are you southern born and bred? (laughs) Yes, I was born and raised in Little Rock, Arkansas. And I decided when I was younger that I just was not a huge fan of the southern accent. So went ahead and opted to not have one i guess movies and tv and growing up watching youtubers and stuff it made it easier to pick a different accent but yeah my uncle always calls me a yankee so So determined from a very young age now jill most people will know you as a horse trainer and you're a big believer in the plus r system now am i calling it right is that Mm -hmm. what you call it a plus r uh yeah i mean a lot of people it depends on who you ask uh clicker trainer positive reinforcement trainer science-based whatever humane based there's a bunch of different names but i normally just say positive reinforcement clicker sure and i've heard clicker training with with dogs you know definitely i've i haven't Mm -hmm. i haven't come across a lot with horses can you kind of briefly explain exactly what what it is So essentially what it is, is you click uh, with either a tangible little 99 cent clicker (laughs) that you can get at like Petco, um, or you can make a verbal sound like I have a sound that I make. Okay. And the marker signal essentially just tells the animal two things. That was right. Whatever behavior you just did, that was it. And Mm -hmm. food's coming. So it becomes a conditioned reinforcer. So like food and snacks and playtime with friends, like all of that is a primary reinforcer. Mm -hmm. Those are the Mm -hmm. things that animals, humans, everyone is motivated by naturally. So you condition a clicker to that sound, then the clicker takes some of that meaning from the primary reinforcer. So essentially, it's a long-winded way of saying that when Mm -hmm. the animal does something you like, you click to mark the behavior, which is the positive reinforcement part. You know, you're adding something to increase the frequency of a behavior. There's one thing that I've wondered about, because I must admit, I'm not, I've never been a massive fan of giving my horse treats. Like, if I do something, I mean, I, I compete my horse, and if I, as soon as we, you know, we finish the round or whatever, I will give her something. Mm-hmm. But I don't, on the habit, and I've recently had some in my pocket, and it just makes her a bit pushy and a bit demanding. And so does it, can it not encourage kind of nippy behavior if you're constantly treating oh, them? I love this question. <laughs> I'm so excited that you asked, <laughs> uh, because I think it is the biggest misconception. So I always compare it to math, right? So, you know, you're not very good at math. Well, the only way to become good at math or become comfortable with math is to use it. (laughs) And horses are naturally foragers. So Mm -hmm. when, when you have food on your person, 
it's their ethology. That's what they know. You know, what's installed in their behavioral repertoire is to search and kind of scavenge for food. And so when it's on you, it, it can come across as like being rude or muggy. Um, you know, a lot of people say that he, he's dominant or he doesn't have any respect for my personal space. And mm-hmm. really, the horse is just being a horse. <laughs> Nobody's mm-hmm. taught him any different. It's super important that you are diligent about the way that you present food, but you also have to give the horse an opportunity to be right. In short, the best way to train a horse how you would like them to behave around food is to use it. So what I do is I start in protected contact. So, you know, the horse is in a stall or his pasture or whatever, and I'm on the outside. So wherever the horse is, we're, we're separated by a fence or a wall. Yeah, yeah. And so I, you know, just keep some treats on me and I stand next to the horse and I wait until something distracts them. You know, I use everything that I can. But anytime the horse is out of my space, I'll click and I'll feed. And it's really important that when you feed, you feed. I I just keep a normal rule of full arms extension. I feed all the way away from me because if I feed next to my body, that's where the horse is going to come for food. So, um, you know, horses are naturally foragers. We said that. And then there's also like, where are they going to get fed? If the horse is always fed out of your space away from you, they have no reason to come into your space. So, you know, if you feed them out of it, that's where they'll wait for their food. Now, I've been reading up about you, Jill, and obviously you've had quite a few horses over the years, but one particular horse, wasn't it, that got you into our training, and that was Zoe. It's quite a long story, but can you kind of briefly tell me the story of how, how it was Zoe that led you to to this positive reinforcement right. training? Um, so she she came to me from my boss, who I actually live on her farm and work for now, and, and then, um, you know, I rode her and competed her, ended up buying her. She became mine, and we competed up through a training level in eventing together, And then um, right before I swapped colleges, she colicked and we took her to our vet and they couldn't do anything and it had been 24 hours and she hadn't had a bowel movement and I was panicking. So I threw her in the trailer Mm. and drove her down to three hours to Louisiana where they have a surgical center. And we unloaded her from the trailer and she was trying to go down on the asphalt. It was horrible but they ended up ultrasounding her and deciding that she she needed to go into surgery immediately and you Mm -hmm. know the surgeon said um if if we'd been 30 minutes later she her colon would have ruptured and then we got her home and i just i wanted to do something with her you know i mean i have this incredible athlete that's used to using her body and moving and she's on Mm -hmm. stall rest for Oh, I forget how long it was. It was several weeks, if not months, um, and then limited turnout, of course. We all know stall rest, oh. <laughs> but um, yeah, she she just always is. She's very busy. She's much like me. We are <laughs> busy bees, and so I was like, I want to do something with her. And I'd actually had a previous horse that um, I tried to trick train, but I didn't know how. And so with Zoe, <laughs> I was like, I'm going to do it right this time, and. I sat down and just kind of looked on Instagram and I found Adele Shaw, who is the willing equine on Instagram. And I started following her work and incessantly messaging her, ended up trapping her on a phone call for three hours while she explained everything to me. (laughs) (laughs) And um, 
it's kind of all been history from there. And then what sort of changes have you seen in Zoe since you've been doing it? Oh, it's hard to pinpoint just a couple. I mean, she, I mean, she's always been a firecracker. She is a spicy little mare, but (laughs) the difference in her anxiety levels, it's, it's insane. And everybody that's watched her for a long time, everybody says she's not the same horse she was a couple of years ago. Working with the positive reinforcement, I feel like it's, it's clearer for both of us. She really understands what I'm asking, and it really makes me think about my training because sometimes I think it's easy to just kind of go out and work with the horse mindlessly and not really be invested. But for me, with the positive reinforcement, I have to be on it the whole time. Like, there mm. isn't a moment. <laughs> otherwise, I, I risk you know, accidentally reinforcing the wrong behavior. And it, it's so much Mm -hmm. fun because we get to be creative together. And there's been a shift for me where I feel like I'm actually participating now instead of trying to, you know, be this prim proper, perfect rider and, you know, micromanage my horse. And, um, you know, it's much more focused on what is the horse doing right? How can I tell the horse this is right? And, you know, I know it's different everywhere around the world but in the training that I was brought up in it was very much um you know fix and hide the things that are going wrong you know try not to Mm -hmm. let anybody see what you're doing it needs to look perfect and like you're not doing anything at all and now I'm like okay well if something's going wrong I don't have to touch her or like tell her she's doing something wrong we just need to work on it and I need to reinforce it when she does it right and if she's mm. just not getting it, then I can shape the behavior to get to that end goal. Um, or we need to have the vet out or the dentist or the farrier or what have you and things like that. It's just, it's made me mm. a lot more compassionate towards her. And, you know, I mean. And, and so, because you did, com- you competed her, you were an event rider, weren't you? Right, yeah. But you now have given that up, right? You don't, you don't compete anymore. Right. I I have competed, you know, I, like I said, I live and work on this horse farm. So uh, when we have horses that are going to shows or are for the the sales horses, um, then I would take them to shows. And I recently showed my boss's horse. So do you think that competing and positive training can go hand in hand? I absolutely do think that you can. It is a bit tricky. I mean, I think everyone's familiar with Shauna Karish working with BZ Madden's uh, horse that was had a fear of Liverpools and, um, you know, clicker trained the horse to get it comfortable with Liverpools and then they just went on and then, you know, the horse is incredible. Sorry, what's, what's Liverpools? Um, the water jumps in show jumping. Do you call that something different? <laughs> Just call it a water jump. Okay, well, there you go. Um, Liverpool is a place in the, in I know. the north of England. That's why I thought you w- it would have been a, a, a <laughs> That's so thing. funny. Yeah. Um, no, no, I've never heard them called that. That's so funny. <laughs> oh, that's what we call them. I don't know why. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so, you know, you can, if a horse has a particular fear of, like, a ditch or a water jump or something like that to, <laughs> to help them get more comfortable. But, um the only reason that it's tricky is because you do have to click and then feed. 
So if you think about with um, negative reinforcement training or traditional writing, and I, I do want to be clear because uh, it gets confusing with all of the terms of operant conditioning, um, but we're talking positive and negative in the mathematical sense. So addition, subtraction, not good and bad. So most mm. traditional writing is negative reinforcement. You're removing something that the animal finds annoying, uncomfortable, unpleasant. You know, you pull on the reins and they're like, okay, ow, ow, my mouth hurt. Okay, yeah, and then they stop. <laughs> or you put mm. your leg on and they're like, mm, that's a little uncomfortable. I think I'm going to go forward. And then when they go forward, you take it off. That's negative reinforcement. And yeah. um, when you're riding with negative reinforcement, you can reinforce the entire time. You are constantly applying, removing, applying, removing pressure. Yeah. And yeah. you're reinforcing the entire time. With clicker training, um, if you want to not have to reinforce after every time, you have to train duration and chains. So if you think about dogs in agility classes, you know, they teach the dogs to go through these tunnels and up over these pyramids, over seesaws and weaving in between mm. poles. And the dogs have to do it very quickly. Most of those dogs are clicker trained and they know mm -hmm. the cues. The cue becomes a good thing in and of itself. So you can actually say I cue my horse to back up and she does it. And then I cue her to walk on. I've reinforced the backing behavior by cueing the forward. So you can actually create an entire behavior chain, like a dressage test, and then click and treat at the end of it. It takes a lot of work to get there, but mm -hmm. think think about how much we stress transitions in dressage and you know, yeah, yeah. redoing it, building those transitions, that core strength, the rocking onto the hind end. And a horse that has had to stop 8,000 times in one ride because they're getting clicked in treat has done 8,000 transitions. And so, you know, it's, I think it's just a cool way to look at it. And also it's a challenge because you have to, yeah. you have to take all this time <laughs> to, to train one thing, but it, it generally, or generally goes pretty quickly, actually. Um, if it's done well, there is a lot of technicality mm -hmm. and you have to put just as much time into it as you would put in your traditional riding, but. And other than BZ, do you know any of, do you, do you know of any other professional riders that, that use clicker training? Uh, there, uh, is Georgia Bruce. She's a para athlete. She clicker trains all of her horses and, uh, okay. competes in dressage and, wow. um, you know, there are some that use it as kind of a supplementary thing, but not many mm -hmm. are full positive reinforcement. I don't know that I'd classify myself as full positive reinforcement because, like I said, my boss has sales horses that I still ride traditionally and mm -hmm. that sort of thing. But, um, you know, a lot of people do use it as a um, kind of a when I have an issue, then I'll use it. But for the most part, it's mm -hmm. just a tool in the toolbox. <laughs> but, sure. uh, yeah. And now I know you're also interested in the human mind. You've got a degree in psychology mm -hmm. and you are currently studying masters in clinical mental health. Is that right? Yes, sure am. Wow. So, I mean, what do you hope to do with this? Do you want to work with horses or humans? Mm -hmm. um, that's a question that I've been running from for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I kind of honestly, the psychology degree, I kind of just picked something that, you know, I could get a degree in that I was interested in. And then uh, when I graduated, I was like, well, now I have to make a decision here. Um, and I decided that I wanted to go or pursue becoming a counselor or a therapist. Um, you know, I've, I've had some like, you know, 
through relationships and get down in the dumps. And I've had experiences with anxiety and depression and Mm. I have ADHD and I'm sure everyone that's listening can tell a little bit. Um, (laughs) But so, you know, I, when I first sought out therapy, I, I was like embarrassed about it. And I didn't Mm. want anyone to know because I thought it was weird. And I thought it meant that I was admitting that I was psychotic. Um, That's not true at all. It's quite the stigma. Um, And I'm sure you know this as well. But it's less so now, isn't it? Yeah, it's finally getting better. Yeah. And I mean, that's why I didn't go for a long time. I I wanted to go when I was like 14 and ended up actually going when I was 20, 21. And yeah, it took me a long time to get to that place where I was like, you know, I think it'll be okay. And then I did. And I ended Mm. up loving it. Loved my therapist. She helped me with a lot of things that I was struggling with and just reframing my life into a perspective that was, you know, manageable instead of just hating everything Mm. and being angry all the time. And um, I feel like it, it shows because I feel like I come across much more lively than I used to. And, um, so yeah, that's that's why I decided to go with clinical mental health. Um, you know, I almost feel like it's a an alternate universe sort of thing. Mm. Um, I have competing passions. I've got the horses and then psychology. They do mix a lot. You know, like I said, BF yeah, Skinner, BF Skinner, and operant conditioning with Pavlov and classical conditioning. All yeah, of that is yeah. from the world of psychology. And there's a lot of concepts that apply. And like the positive psychology movement, you know, it's about focusing on the things that are going well in your life and being okay with and making peace with the things that aren't, but, but making the good, the priority and your focus. And that's, that goes right into my training. You know, it's, I want to focus on what's going well. I want to be sure that I reward it. And when things aren't going well, accept it, take a step back, think about what we can do. And then, you know, when I've thought about it enough and come up with an alternate way of getting that same behavior, uh, we apply it and then it goes well and I reward it. As you said, you're still only 22, but you have been working with horses and riding for, for sort of most of your life. You were kind of a pony crazy <laughs> young girl. Yeah. And you got your first horse when you were eight. Yes. Now, is that he was 15 too? Mm-hmm. That's quite big for an eight-year-old. Yeah, see, I don't know. I was never the, the girl <laughs> with the pony. I, I remember when I first went out to this this farm. It was a backyard little horse farm. And um, I, you know, the instructor was like, you'll have three horses. Each week I'll put you on a different one, and you can pick which one you want to have your lessons on. And she put me on uh, Bingo first. That was his name, Bingo Bugfuzz. Mm. Um, and That's he's sweet. 15 to 20 year old quarter horse. And she put me on him. And I was like, this is the one. Cool. And I was like, <laughs> and my trainer was like, no, okay, you have to try the other ones. And so I did begrudgingly. And I sat on this teeny tiny little pony. I think her name was Sissy or Sassy, something like that. Um, <laughs> and then there was another one named Jasper. And I've, only just now realize that I still know their names um, and I can't remember anybody that I went to school with's name but remember those horses that I rode once um, but yeah so uh, I just I fell in love with him and my parents bought him for me on my eighth birthday so that that was that we put some we put a request out on Charles own Instagram account for questions to you and 
unsurprisingly we have got a lot of questions people asking for advice for their horses now bearing in mind we haven't got hours to be right. here so i'm going to pick out a few and i know it's hard to try and offer advice really succinctly because horses are complex and but yes. if you can just try and give a few a few tips would be great lizzie underscore but unfortunately the way it's come through on instagram i can't see her name so i'm hoping it's lizzie underscore sladden tips for a horse that doesn't want to do join up and who is very dominant Well, that's a good question, isn't it? I don't know that Lizzie is going to love my answer. So I would, I would say that the reason join up is not working is because if you, usually the reason that people do join up is because they're wanting a connection with their horses, right? Mm. You want the horse to see you on their level. You're trying to become that lead mare, chase them around, get them to respect you. But it's about trying to get a connection for most people. I don't think most people take a horse into a round pen and run him around because they're like, oh, I love making you afraid of me. But the yes. thing that's motivating the horse to move is, is fear. And so otherwise they would just stand there. But the, the central part of it is that you want the horse to connect with you. And I think that join up does a real disservice to that connection. I think it's well intended and I'm very familiar with Monty Roberts and his work. And, you know, I think, I think he's a great, um, you know, step in the right direction on trying to understand the horse better and be more compassionate towards them. But the way to, to get that connection with them is to hear them and listen to them, make them feel safe and calm and confident and heard. And the best way to do that is to train them in a way that is respectful to them. Even if you ride traditionally, you know, if the horse isn't responding the way you want, instead of looking at them as, oh, he's just being obstinate, he's being bad, he's so sassy or grumpy, consider that all behavior has a purpose and why is this Why is this behavior happening? Can I ask it in a different way? Is there um, something that's possibly going on that he's trying to tell me? And every time that I have allowed myself to override that and just been like, cause you know, I still ride traditionally sometimes and I'll just be like, no horse, you have to do it. Um, and then come to find out there was, there was something like, you know, they were working on an abscess or their shoulder was out and all sorts of different things that they're trying to tell me. And they're never lying. They're never wrong. They don't fake things. So, um, you know, the best way to get that connection is to listen to them and educate yourself. And I think the best way to do that is learning. Kate Spencer, dot 21, um, having problems saying lunging her horse will not go out onto the circle um, when asked, but comes in towards me. It's interesting because Zoe used to actually do that. When I first started working with her, she would do a semicircle. She would go out and then on one side, it was a straight line <laughs> and she would cut in near me. Um, I think the one way to look at it is that your horse doesn't want to leave you. If you think about the way that horses are brought up and raised and interact with one another, their herd is their secure base. And when you become an attachment figure to a horse, they don't want to leave you. So, I mean, I would take it as a compliment first and foremost, but at the same time, okay, you still have to lunge your horse. Um, The way that I would go about it would be, you know, it's unconventional, but I would set up a reverse round pin. So uh, you can have a target stick, teach your horse to follow it. It's pretty simple. I have videos on my YouTube as well as podcasts about this. I'll I'll keep it concise. But, um, you know, I hold out an object. I have the horse look in its direction. I click and feed. And then I hold out an object, have the horse, you know, move their nose towards it, click feed. Then I have the horse uh, touch it, click feed. And then they've, they've been target trained. And you can set up 
cones and poles or whatever, or you could set up a, um, like I got those T-posts from Tractor Supply and a piece of nylon rope to go around it. I set up a 20 meter circle and target my horse around the outside of it to get that lunging. But if you want to do it traditionally, really the biggest thing is don't walk backwards because when you walk backwards, you're inviting them into your space and the horse already wants to be there. So I would say it's lunging is so much about body language. It's about communicating to the horse where you want them to go and being sure that you're reinforcing correctly at the right moment. So it's actually a lot more complicated than I think a lot of people think it is. You know, it's not just swinging a whip behind a horse and sending them in a circle. You, you can lean into their space and then when they shift outside, um, you know, on the circle, stop and you're reinforcing that because you're applying a pressure. It's not a physical pressure, but your body is entering their space. And when they step out of it, stop, you're reinforcing it. And then over time, they, they'll learn to move over out of that space because then you'll stop encroaching on theirs. You can also do some things to help kind of facilitate that. You know, um, I like to hold my whip underhanded. So the, like if I hold my hands, like I've got ice cream cones, the butt of the whip is coming out the top and then the rest of the whip and the tail is coming out the bottom like it's a part of my arm from hand to elbow. And um, so I hold it like that and I typically hold the the lunge line underhanded as if it were a rein <laughs> with, so I can use my middle finger to manipulate it. And um, so yeah. if I had a horse that wasn't coming in on the circle or was coming in on the circle, I would step into their space and then take my whichever hands on the lunge line and sort of apply pressure and tickle that ring finger to get uh, a bend in their neck. Of course, only if they can bend their necks. A chiropractic is a huge thing for me and, you know, I get out very easily. So if the horse is out and can't bend their neck, then, you know, don't force it. It's dangerous. Um, and then you can swing the, swing the whip a little bit and have their haunches move out. Um, so you're, you're turning their head, you're pushing in with your body and you're sending their hind end forward. So you're creating an arc with the horse's body on the outside of the circle. And I like to work in small steps because I think that's what makes most sense. I think it's the most fair. If you've ever tried to train a human to do anything without words, uh, you'll have a lot more compassion for how difficult this is. Uh, you know, I have a student right now that I, mm. I had her clicker train mm. me to do something and I clicker trained her to do something. And she was like, okay, I get it now. And I understand why I can't take big leaps in my steps because, wow, that's really confusing. Um, <laughs> Lauren Therese 07 how can you get your horse to have good yard ground and ground manners? Um, you know, I get that question a lot and I've answered it a couple times on my podcast as well. People talking about like, how do I get my horse to walk nicely? I'm like, do you reward him in any way when he is doing it well? Or do you just punish the things that mm. you don't like? If, if your horse's mm. reward is the absence of punishment, that's not a reward. None of us would go to our day jobs if the only reward or payment we got yeah. was the absence of something we hated. How often are you telling the horse that they're good? Are you scratching them? Are you um, yeah. allowing them to go somewhere that they like because they walked really nicely beside you for a while and now we can stop and get grass and I have a cue to be able to ask you to leave the grass? There, there are lots of things, but I think it's really just important to consider that the horse 
like stop labeling them you know the horses aren't bad they're not out to get you they're not your enemy these animals are just responding based on their history and if their history tells them it's not something good or that it's more reinforcing to haul you over to the grass than you know your shanking on the lead rope or walking next to you without being shanked on the lead rope you know the grass is going to win every time so uh you know you have to make walking yeah. next to you more valuable than pulling you over to the grass how do you do that <laughs> you know and that's where i like having cues because then you can tell the horse okay you can have grass now or mm, i really need to get you out to your field so give me give me an example if they're if they're being pushy um and sort of really in your space how would you without wanting to push them back out you know of your space how would you how would you work with them that's where the protected contact is really helpful and i i know from experience when i was first told about protected contact i rolled my eyes and it made me feel very icky inside i was like i've been riding for over a decade i can work with a horse in with them i don't need to be separated by a fence or a door and but for the sake of testing out the method authentically i gave it a shot and um you know first i teach the target training so that that's super helpful for things like trailer loading leading into the cross ties standing still um you know you can do so many things with targeting and so the next thing i teach is the manners lesson so i can't come out of protected contact until my horse knows this because um the reason it's so important is that if you have a horse that's in your space and mugging you and you're you're trying to adhere to your rules, you know, and not reinforce that behavior, mm-hmm. but the horse is getting frustrated because he knows that you have food and the only way you can get this horse off of you is to push his shoulder away and things that you don't want to do anymore. So for me, the best way that I've found to go about this is to use protected contact because some horses, you know, I've had some horses that have come from rescues or off the track that are really head shy. I, I hate it, but those horses don't trust me yet. And so being in protected contact also keeps them safe from me. So it keeps us both safe. We can work with low stress, mm-hmm. low anxiety, and you know, learning goes away mm-hmm. when you're stressed and anxious. Um, and so to keep the horse in a safe, comfortable learning space, I have them in the stall and I'll be outside and just stand next to them while they, you know, kind of nuzzle me. And if I feel like it's getting to be a lot, I can just step away. And usually a bird will fly by or a cat will run across the yard or whatever. And the horse will look at it and I'll click for that. And then I'll treat them way out of my space. And uh, I like to, I like to try and click when their head passes through their shoulders, when their head's in the center of their body. I click and I feed and I feed them right there. And then if they stay there, if they don't move, I keep clicking and feeding for just staying in that spot. And then eventually I can put it on cue for mine. Every horse that I've worked with, I can walk up to them and tilt my shoulders slightly away from them and their heads go the opposite direction. And then I click and feed them for it. So many questions that come through are all about manners. And it all comes from the same same basic set of principles and you yeah. just build and, um, you know, it's, I think we have this, I don't know, pre-assumption that horses are just supposed to do whatever we want them to do and if they don't then they're somehow acting out against us and it's it's interesting because my argument to that is that um you know okay well the horse is doing it because it's more reinforcing so your training every time you interact with your horse you're training them 
And if your horse is doing something that you don't like, you're not training them very well. (laughs) You know, you have to make it worth it to them and make it something that they enjoy and also something that they understand. Yeah. So there are so many other questions, but we're going to, we could keep them forever. Mm -hmm. And I would say that people can get a lot. There's lots of advice in there, as you say, on Instagram and on your YouTube Mm -hmm. channel. Um, so where if people want to find advice and things quick plug where can they find the you? best place to for advice is my podcast it's the equitheory e-q-u-i-t-h-e-o-r-y podcast um it's available everywhere podcasts are spotify all that um it also has a youtube channel and a website equitheorypodcast.com and uh you know as far as my social media uh to keep it short you can follow me at jet equitheory it's my initials jet um and that's facebook instagram youtube twitter and uh then equitheory on facebook and instagram so yeah i also have a bunch of resources for positive reinforcement books and online courses and uh videos all of that you can find on jetequitheory.com so i did that on purpose because i was very frustrated when i first started (laughs) that i couldn't find where all of the resources were so i made it myself great brilliant (laughs) Brilliant. And we always finish on these final three questions, okay. which is if you didn't work with horses, what would you what would you have done? Oh, um, I mean, I, I guess the the answer that's right in front of my face is the becoming a therapist or a counselor. Um, you know, it's I do have a really strong passion for psychology and studying it. I'm not real big into like conducting research, but I like reading it and learning about it. So Mm. uh, if I didn't do horses, that's probably the path I would have gone. But honestly, I just I don't know who I would be without them. It doesn't seem like it would be me Mm. at all. (laughs) But maybe in some parallel Mm. universe, I'm just just into psychology. When 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 are you happiest, Jill? Oh, I'm happiest when I'm working with a horse and no matter who it is, I mean, Obviously, my mare is my favorite, but um, when I'm working with them and I can tell that they've just gotten it, they understand the cue, they've put it together, and they they know what I'm looking for, and then it just becomes a dance, and the horses just move with me, and they're waiting for the cue, and they're respectful. I don't have to touch them, and uh, I think that's that's the coolest part of it for me. I've always been very interested in liberty and things like that but I never knew how to do it because anytime I would turn my horses free they just walk away from me and I was like wait come back (laughs) bond and uh now I have horses that I can't walk out my door at the farm without getting a thousand whinnies because they're all like hey pick me please come train me and uh they love it and you know the the act itself is intrinsically motivating because it's they're engaging their seeking system and their brain and it releases all those good neurotransmitters and they love it and it's they're just they're so bright and alive and creative and it's there's just nothing like it truly that's fantastic um and finally what do you wish you had known when you first we normally say what do you wish you'd known 10 years ago but i think that you were <laughs> 11 or 12 so i'm going to say is what what do you wish you'd known when you first started out on this journey training horses oh, i wish i'd known that i i could learn on my own um you know the horse world's very keen on you have a trainer and that's it and um you know you might go to some clinics and train with other people but 
your trainer's word is end all be all. And should you argue with them, you're being rude and disrespectful, particularly in the South. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's wonderful to now be so empowered and confident in myself and my ability to understand things. I would just like to see a perspective shift a little bit. It's just, mm. it, it's, it's hard to watch people, you know, suffer so much because they're like, oh, well, my horse is such a brat or he hates me, LOL, he runs away and, um, or he never wants to do what I want to do. He never listens to me. Things like that are really hard to hear for me because I'm like, there's so mm -hmm. much that you can do, even if you don't want to be a clicker trainer. Yeah. There's so much you can do, but because you've, you've shut the door, the horse just is, it's a personality defect and you can't do anything about it. Now you're both stuck suffering. Mm. And if you are able to change the way that you look at your relationship with your horse and who your horse is and what they are possible or capable of doing, and thinking and believing and acting on, then you open the door for yourself and for your relationship to make it something absolutely incredible. Jill, there's so much there to take on. I think people will definitely be wanting, you know, people that aren't feeling ready, I'm sure will be interested to go and check it out. I feel like I definitely want to go and watch a few videos. I'm really <laughs> intrigued by it. So yeah. it's been really, really interesting. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your experience with us. Yeah, thank you for having me on. It's It's been awesome to have a place to talk about it.